0: Election College, episode 320, Benjamin Harrison. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, I'm embarrassed. Uh, why, Jason? Not embarrassed enough to get like that hot feeling. Is it like when your pants fall down in public? It's not that bad. But we kind of, as podcasters, as people who talk about history, mm-hmm. people who talk about presidents, we drop the ball.
1: You know, I could have sworn we talked about Benjamin Harrison. If you had asked me, I would have bet money on it.
0: Yeah, and I'm just not willing to go through 319 episodes to figure out. (laughs) I mean, I guess we could have Googled it. But we didn't because we talked about the election. And I think I talked about this story before, but then you said you didn't remember. So let's just do a reset. Just just to clarify,
1: me not remembering something means almost absolutely nothing.
0: That's kind of true. Yeah. Not that you've ever done anything to me like that, but... uh, Well, maybe you did. And maybe you forgot. That's true. But one thing we don't forget to do here at the Election College Clubhouse, (laughs) if that's what you want to call it, is we do not forget to read reviews. Reviews. And a couple of weeks ago, we were reading our reviews, and, you know, we do happy dances. And with this particular review, it said, great podcast. And we started dancing. And it says that my only complaint, and then we stopped dancing, is that our two heroes, the hosts, which kind of made us feel good to be called heroes. Started dancing again. Not all heroes wear capes. Yep. Um... Not to minimize true heroes that don't wear capes, but (laughs) somebody says we're heroes, um, which in the concept of story, I guess hero doesn't have to be a cape wearing or a healthcare worker or a first responder, someone like that. Anyway, seem to have forgotten, which we've both confessed to forgetting things. I guess I didn't really confess. I'm confessing now. Okay, I'm confessing to the world right now. I forget stuff all the time. (laughs) To make an episode about the life of Benjamin Harrison, frown face. We've failed. Yeah. So Kev Moore, forty-five. This one's for you. Um, sorry.
1: The rest of you can enjoy it too.
0: Now, here's the way that we're gonna recover and make it look like it wasn't our fault. Are you ready for this? Yes. I've been married over twenty years. I know how to do this. It has yet to work in my marriage, but. I'm going to try it. (laughs) I was waiting until I was in Indiana yeah, to record about Benjamin Harrison because I'm really between where he was born and where he did most of his professional life. I'm not too far from Miami University where he went to college. And I'm in Indiana where on the signs it says, Welcome to Indiana, Crossroads of America, America's Hoosier President. Benjamin Harrison. And I was
1: waiting until Jason remembered. Yeah. Because I didn't want to embarrass him.
0: So it's my fault. <laughs> but this was intentional because you need to be in the state where the president did most of his life in order to talk about him.
1: I, we've been messing up bad then with all the other presidents, but.
0: But in this case, we got it right. We're correcting it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to talk about Benjamin Harrison? Let's do it, Jason. Okay, way back in August of 1833, a baby boy was born in the John Scott Harrison household. The little baby, his name was Benjamin. Hey, that's kind of like what happened in your house. Except not in 1833. Right. It was much later. And the Harrisons, we've talked about them before. They were from Virginia, but then... William Henry Harrison, who's the grandfather of Benjamin Harrison, comes out to the wilderness of Southwest Ohio along the Ohio River to to a town... I guess you can't edit that out now that I'm correcting myself, but town. No, it's funnier if I leave it. Town of North Bend, Ohio. And William Henry comes... To Ohio, sets up shop, gets married, becomes president, dies, gets buried back in Ohio, and Ben and I actually recorded a live video. Oh at yeah, the, uh, the uh, at, uh, William tomb. Henry
1: Harrison's. Yeah, as as yeah. gravesite.
0: So we're sure. going to talk about that gravesite because something creepy happens there, and that's our cliffhanger for this episode. So hang with Ooh. us. Ah.
1: That was that was one of the more interesting. Uh, just to deviate for a second, one of the more interesting uh, grave sites we went to, it was probably, I've been, you know, I'm on my quest to to see all of the, the grave sites, the burial places of presidents. And I've seen a lot of them, but that's one of the more interesting ones because there's so little fanfare around it. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's literally just like, you'll miss it if you if you drive over 25 miles an hour.
0: That's true. Well, we're going to, make some fanfare about that grave site and a little bit but here's the spoiler spoiler alert spoiler alert benjamin harrison is not buried there in north bend ohio he's buried in indiana yeah which is where i'm at i'm actually closer to the north bend ohio though anyway john scott harrison he is a congressman uh, from ohio he's the son of a president he's also the dad of a future president and they are not wealthy but they're doing okay they're in ohio and benjamin harrison is what how many kids were in his family they had like a whole mess of kids 10 kids 10 kids wow yeah. after one you can say a whole mess
1: Imagine being Benjamin Harrison's dad and being like, well, my dad was the president and my son is the president and I am I'm not. I've never been the president. I I didn't. Yeah.
0: That's rough. That's rough. Rough to live up to. I'm sure he was very secure in his humanity that he was like, you know what? It's all right. I'm happy for these guys. That's right. Anyway, (laughs) uh, they he's pretty much homeschooled and who better to be homeschooled? than like a congressman's family Mm -hmm. and of course that takes place in a log cabin near his home
1: well everything good takes place in a log cabin near your home and when his parents 1800s
0: yeah his parents are like you know what i can't uh figure out this algebra seventh grade algebra is horrible and by the time he's 14 years old well, I should say they shipped him over to a log cabin near his home and somebody <laughs> taught him. No, they hired a, tour, a tutor, yeah, which prepared him very well. Uh, by the time he's 14 years old, he and his brother Irwin enroll at Farmers College, uh, which is in the Cincinnati area. He uh, goes there for two years. He meets his future wife, Carrie, and the two head over to Oxford, Ohio, which is home of Miami University, Miami of Ohio, and he graduates in 1852, makes a lot of friends, including future uh, politicians like John Alexander Anderson, who was a six-term U.S. congressman, as well as Whitelaw Reed, who was Harrison's vice presidential running mate in 1892. He... Oh, spoiler alert! Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're getting you're, you're we're
1: we're telling people he's going to run for president. I mean, they would have never known if you hadn't said something.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he joins Presbyterian Church, and like his mom, he becomes a lifelong Presbyterian. Which is what happens when you're a Presbyterian. It's like the Marines. Yeah. Uh, when you become a Presbyterian, you're frozen. <laughs> you're always a Presbyterian
1: so after he graduates college in the early 1850s he goes and surprised to no one studies law in cincinnati um you know every good president has to study law before they go into office so of course uh but he ends up not finishing his studies because he wants to go back to oxford and get married to carrie and in 1853 they get married carrie's father performs the ceremony and they end up having a couple kids. They're not important to the story right now. Grandfather's important. Dad's kind of important. Ben is really important, but the kids they don't matter as much. So they <laughs> all, they live uh, in his at his father's farm in southwestern Ohio. He ends up going back to school, finishes up studying law, and he gets admitted to the bar in 1854. Uh, he then moves over to Indianapolis in Indiana where Jason is not in Indianapolis specifically but in Indiana and he starts practicing law there uh for the federal court in Indianapolis and he gets paid a whopping sum of $2.50 per day and I didn't look up the conversion like we do sometimes but th- that's more than that sounds like trust me yeah uh he ends up going and serving as a commissioner for the US Court of Claims and becomes a founding member and the first president of the university club and the Phi Delta Theta alumni club. So they are becoming quite esteemed. They also end up becoming members of the local Presbyterian church and they've established themselves as kind of figures in the community. Now Harrison grew up in a Whig household, and you know how the Whigs are. They're, they're not Democrats, they're not Republicans, but they're probably closer to Republicans than they are uh, Democrats. But anyway, he ends up joining the Republican Party after it comes out of nowhere and forms in 1856. Uh, and he ends up campaigning for John C. Fremont, who, by the way, if you don't know, was never a president, so that
0: Have we done an episode on Fremont?
1: I think we've talked about him numerous times. I don't know that we've ever actually done an episode. Maybe someday. Maybe. Yeah. So he gets selected as, or elected as the city attorney for Indianapolis. Now we would call that a solicitor probably. And he gets bumped up to $400 a year salary. Which is only about $11,000 <laughs> uh, in, in our
0: current money. 1858, he enters into a partnership with William Wallace, he forms the law office of Wallace and Harrison. A couple of years later, he is elected reporter of the Indiana Supreme Court. He's advocating the Republican Party's platform. He serves as the state's committee secretary for the Republicans, and his law partner uh, is elected county clerk in 1860. He needs a new partner, so he gets William Fish back. They work together until the start of the Civil War, when Harrison, not the military guy, I mean, he is now becoming a military guy, but he's not really a fighter, but he joins the army and his primary role in the army is to help recruit soldiers for the war effort
1: purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly auto parts today and we'll install them for free see better and drive safer with O'Reilly auto parts,
0: oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto parts. Abraham Lincoln nominates Harrison to become a Brevet Brigadier General, and the Senate confirms that, and he rides in the Grand Review in Washington, D.C., before mustering out on June 8th of 1865. So he's there. He does serve with Sherman in that Atlanta campaign. He goes to Kennesaw Mountain and um, sees the burning of Atlanta, and participates in the Battle of Nashville, but he wasn't like the guy on the front line necessarily, but he serves. And uh, during this time, he's also re-elected the reporter of the Indiana Supreme Court. He's not seeking that position. It's not a very powerful one, but it's paying the bills. By the time the war is over in 1869, President Grant appoints Harrison to represent the federal government. After the war, he returns back to Indiana, and he doesn't go to New York. No. no. Indiana. Man, I got all those Hamilton songs. Always got to clarify
1: that, you know. We got to make sure you know it wasn't New
0: York. It's horrible. I watched it again. It cried like a baby every single time. Anyway, 1869, President Grant appoints Harrison to represent the federal government in a lawsuit. He is becoming very well-known nationally even internationally in some cases. But the Republicans in Indiana are like, hey, Ben, Benjamin. I don't know if they called him Ben.
1: I don't know. I don't know if that was a thing, then. It is now, I can tell yeah. you.
0: They, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. they. Uh, I only call you Benjamin when I'm upset with you. That's right. Angry. Yeah. And then um, he runs for Congress, and he's campaigning for the nomination to become governor doesn't really go very far for him, um, just because, well, let's face it, he's kind of new on the scene in in politics, but it mainly has to do with there's so many stinking Republicans in Indiana at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, it's a new party. Everybody wants to get on the bandwagon, right?
0: Yeah. He uh, eventually becomes the Indiana senator or should i say senator from indiana senator from indiana and that's mainly because well let's face it the republicans in indiana are starting to recognize him as a leader and it was during this time that senators weren't popularly elected they were elected by the state legislators so that's how he becomes the senator yeah and so really it's
1: interesting because a lot of times when you're in politics, one of the main issues is dealing with a lack of cash for the uh, the budget for the, the state. But in 1881, Harrison's deal is he actually has a budget surplus he has to deal with. And the Democrats want to reduce the tariff and limit the amount of money the government takes in because they don't want it to have more money than they can spend, which is always a good position if you ask me, uh, for government to take, no matter where you fall on the government spectrum. You don't want to charge more money from your taxpayers than than you need. But the Republicans want to spend it on pensions for Civil War veterans, another worthy cause, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. So Harrison takes his party's side, advocates for the pensions, and he ends up trying to support aid for the education of southerners especially the children of freedmen children of people who were formerly slaves and of course one of the champions for making sure that the black population specifically the well and pretty much everybody who was in the black population in america at the time was uh, formerly a slave not everybody but a lot of people And wanted to make sure they would have political and economic equality with the white folk. Well, he loses that battle at the time, but, you know, he'll come back to it later. Later, he ends up trying to get some influence at the Republican National Convention in 1884. And he ends up supporting James G. Blaine, also, by the way, another person that never ends up winning the presidency. And we never end up talking about him on the podcast. Yeah, because he basically doesn't matter. I mean, if you're not the president, you basically don't matter uh, in this podcast. Oh, man. But in 1885, they redistrict the Indiana state legislature, and that ends up putting in a Democratic majority, even though there's a Republican majority statewide. And because of these gerrymandering things that happen and uh, everything, Harrison ends up losing his bid for re-election and he goes back to indianapolis he resumes his law practice but you know he still is interested in keeping up with state and national politics and that
0: moves into
1: maybe the election of 1888
0: yeah so the republicans gather it's pretty much assumed that blaine is going to become the nominee but there's a division in the party and Through all of this division, the underdog comes. It's crazy, actually. Everybody else seems like they're going to get the nomination, except Benjamin Harrison, but he is the only one who can pull it out. So on the first ballot, Harrison gets fifth, but by the time the eighth ballot comes around, he wins 544 to 108 votes. And Levi Morton of New York... Was chosen as his running mate. It looks like you know the Republicans are gonna pull this one off because let's face it, you got a New Yorker, you got a guy from Indiana, a Hoosier, and they lose the popular vote by 90,000 votes. But guess what? That doesn't matter because you got the Electoral College, and in the Electoral College, the Republican ticket trounces the incumbent Grover Cleveland. 233 to 168. Man, that can make all the difference in the world. It does. If you look at the map, it's crazy because it's north versus south, with the exception of, like, I think um, Connecticut and New Jersey and Delaware uh, were the only states that were kind of north that voted. Uh, it was pretty solid Democrats the South and those states. I could have said that better, but it works. I understood what you
1: meant. The interesting thing about Harrison's campaign here for president is that he goes back to a little bit more of the old front porch campaign like we'd seen in the past. And it was becoming more prevalent to actually actively campaign for the seat. Uh, You know, early on it was was considered really kind of um, taboo to, Campaign to go out and knock on doors, to uh, do stump speeches. Uh, And he moves back to a more traditional front porch campaign. And people come in from all over the place to see him. So that's just a little bit of uh, strategy there on his part. He gets sworn into office in 1889 in March, which is a little later than we're used to inauguration being. And his speech was pretty short. As a matter of fact, his uh, William Henry Harrison who has one of the longest speeches in inaugural history for a. US president, his grandson's speech is, is less than half that long. And he talks about a lot of different things that he wants to have uh, you know done during his term. But one thing he really talks about is his reaffirmation of the Monroe Doctrine, you know the foreign policy there that they have and wants to get the Navy modernized and also says, You know, we need to have a strong international front here, but also let's just stay out of everybody else's way and and not interfere if we can help it. John Philip Sousa, who I'm sure many of you know that name, was part of the band that played at the inaugural ball. And I think this is interesting because this is like the time... John Philip Sousa and his band, the Marine Corps band, are like what I kind of feel you know, they they've they started so many traditions that we keep today. And this is that time where where yeah. they're in effect. And like I I don't know, I feel like a lot of American political climate would be different without the types of music we use. And this is when a lot of that was formed.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think, man, we could do a whole podcast on this. That's when like you're nationalism and schools and everything like that was becoming a big thing
1: oh yeah that's kind of
0: an interesting study actually the whole pledge to the flag and the just the concept of being you know proud to be an american that this is the era that that starts to take off Yeah. yeah and we don't know what to do with it like it it was always, and you've heard people talk about that, you know, before the Civil War, it was these United States, and then after it was the United States and all of that. But when I think of the Republicans from this era, I'm thinking nationalism. And people liked that at the time. Unless you were in the South and you were a Democrat. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but it... It's starting to take off, you know, where these these patriotic songs and so on. Benjamin Harrison kind of gets lost in in all of that. I've even heard people say, okay, Theodore Roosevelt was the first modern president, but then lately they've been backing it up to McKinley. But Harrison, Benjamin Harrison, kind of is... I don't know, in my opinion. And maybe it's because I'm in Indiana and I'm drinking the water. <laughs> but he's kind of that guy. He's a big-time nationalist. He is doing what he can to uh, prop up the civil rights movement, uh, saying that you know African Americans, they didn't choose to be here. We're the ones, uh, the Caucasian people are the ones who brought them over and he even says uh quote the colored people did not intrude themselves upon us they were brought here in chains and held in communities where they are now chiefly bound by a cruel slave code and he goes on to talk about how they should have voting rights this was not popular in the south
1: and especially not in the what, 1890s
0: 1880s yeah Yeah, and... I don't know if it was popular anywhere, quite frankly. You're absolutely right. And Benjamin Harrison gets lost in the mix. He could be one of the great civil rights champions if we would just pay attention to him. Yeah. So with that being said, the cliffhanger about the burial site of his dad is going to have to wait. Don't Google it. Oh... Oh, I'm cruel and unusual.
1: That's right. That's that was my nickname in high school. Was it really? No. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> I just thought it would be funny. I don't know.
0: It's funny. I'm I I am literally laughing out loud.
1: Yeah, I heard it. I heard you laugh out loud. Lol.
0: Hey, uh, also something that's really cool.
1: You know, you have photographs of a lot of different presidents before William Henry Harris or before Benjamin Harrison. But some of the photos I found when I was just looking. Uh, up some different things about Benjamin Harrison are really cool I don't know why specifically maybe it's because you you start to look a little bit more like our current day or something like that but I just think that it's cool that we were able he's like in that mix of uh, lots of portraits of him and lots of actual photographs of him and the things around him but there's pictures of him just like hanging out with his buddies and also pictures of him like being president so I don't know if you get a chance to just like find some pictures of Benjamin Harrison. You should do that because it's just like a cool era and people are just learning a little more about photography and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Just a freebie for you there.
0: Think about this. Benjamin Harrison born in the 1830s would have known some revolutionary war soldiers. He would have also known people who might have eventually fought in World War 1 because he died in like 1901.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what was it him that that he has quite a few descendants that are like pretty closely connected hanging around still?
0: Oh, they they've
1: got to be. I feel like we talked about that at one point, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I you know what? It's John Tyler. John Tyler still has living like
0: grandchildren. Yeah, like the two the two grandkids. That Every other day, somebody discovers that that's the truth, and then they put, post it on Facebook like they're the ones who discovered it. Right. <laughs> but the Harrison family, um, I mean, I don't know. They, they've got to be around here. Where I'm at, the people here are just delightful. Nice. Indiana, man. You'd love to hear it. They are the real deal. I love it. I, I could just go on and on. Maybe you can listen to my other podcast because there's going to be some stories about this area. Nice. Eventually.
1: And that podcast is?
0: Before They Were States. It's that easy. Before They Were States. Look it up. uh, Have a listen and let me know what you think. Cool, man.
1: Uh, Make sure that you are, I mean, if you're not subscribed to this podcast by now, we don't know what you're doing. But make sure to subscribe. But more importantly, make sure to leave us. A rating and review over on itunes it really does help us out uh you heard we do happy dances when we get positive reviews and that's honestly most of them so go ahead and and check that out also you know the most important thing you can do to help a a podcast grow is tell a friend who might like it and that doesn't even have to be in person you know you can you can send them a text message you can you can tweet about it whatever you want to do but Oftentimes, if I see a podcast inter- it uh, advertised, I might be interested, but if I hear about a podcast from one of my buddies, 90% of the time, I'm going to check it out. So, if you could do us a favor, just tell one friend about Election College that you think would like it.
0: Yeah. We do, like angels do, happy dances, because we don't necessarily hear about that when that happens, but right, your, your angels do. Yeah. There you
1: go. <laughs> hey, thanks, everybody, for listening.